This episode of the Vocalscope podcast is sponsored by the Vocalscope Book Club for singers, voice users, voice practitioners and vocal coaches. In the Vocalscope Book Club, you get to nominate, vote for and read a different voice or performance-related book every month. We have book discussions where we mull over and unpack what we're reading, always considering how it might affect our practice. And then we put questions we have directly to our author of the month in a members-only Q&A. You can find out more about joining us via the link in the show notes or just search the Vocalscope Book Club. My guest today is a rock and pop vocalist, a self-releasing singer-songwriter, and he is also currently working as a singer on the BBC's Strictly Come Dancing series under the genius musical direction of Dave Arch. Jesse Smith is a rock singer, musician and songwriter based in London. He's the frontman for the band Romances, the Legacy Show Band, the classic rock show, Boot Led Zeppelin and London's premier rock night, Rock the Boat. Jesse also starred in Thriller Live in the West End and has toured Europe with the cult heavy metal cinematic experience, Gutter Damarang. With these projects, Jesse has performed all over the world with venues such as the Royal Albert Hall, Wembley Arena, the London Palladium, the Olympic Stadium Munich and having started his singing career early, was a finalist for Junior Eurovision, with appearances also in three of the Harry Potter movies. Jesse Smith, it is really lovely to have you here on Vocalscope today. Thank you so much for joining me. It's so good to be here. It's so weird hearing all that stuff read out. It's it's like you've really done your research today, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do know each other a bit, don't we? Which we will which we will get to. So, listen, I feel like for reasons that will soon become clear to our listeners that our conversation today has three very distinct time-specific demarcations, three different worlds which are separated into the world of Jesse Smith pre-COVID and your career as a singer-musician and frontman up until that point. And then the world of Jesse Smith during COVID and how that whole experience impacted your work as a singer-musician, followed by the new post-COVID era where all those experiences are actually bringing you creative and artistic inspiration. That's how I see it. And more on that later. But first, take us back to young Jesse Smith, to how you first discovered your love for music, your love for making music, and how you first began finding your voice. Well, um, oh gosh, where do we begin? I mean, there was always music in my house. My dad is a huge music fan, although my family aren't musicians or particularly musical, but my, my dad is a, always had, you know, this bands that are my favorite bands now, he was always playing them in the house. So David Bowie and the Beatles and uh, Eric Clapton and all these people. Um, so I kind of grew up listening to music and um, it was very early on that I started singing. And my mum my always says to me that I was, 
singing almost before I could speak. Um, she would put Disney movies on and I would know every word when I was like five, six years old and I'd be singing Aladdin and, you know, whatever it was, The Lion King, um, <laughs> even, at, even at that young age. And, um, and then when I was about 10 or 11, I joined Starmeg Theatre Company, which of course you have <clears throat> a connection with as well. Yes. And, um, and so that kind of was a massive outlet for me as a, as a kid growing up. It gave me that safe space to be confident and perform. Um, so kind of doing that and doing school shows and stuff like that and school concerts um, just allowed me to sort of build my confidence and learn how to perform and learn how to sing. Um, so that's kind of where it all started, really, yeah. And what was your first professional job? Was it the Thriller Tour? No, so... I was, I'll tell the story. It's quite a, quite a nice story for anyone that um, is starting out their career. So obviously I'd always sung and I, I, I wasn't a professional, so to speak, at this point. I think I was 20, sort of in my early 20s, probably 20, 21. Obviously I'd done a lot of gigs, you know, I've been gigging with bands since I was 14 um, and playing in lots of various different things and pubs and clubs and stuff like that. But I was actually working in my old school in the music technology department um, kind of helping kids record their music technology coursework and helping GCSE kids with their compositions and stuff, um, which is a great little job for me. And um, basically I was cleaning out the store cupboard in the music department, which I knew for a fact had not been cleaned since I'd joined that school at the age of, you know, 11. So it was just thick layers of dust and grime and grit and, I my job that week was to tidy up that cupboard and I remember having a dusk mask on before they were cool and rubber gloves <laughs> and basically sweeping out this cupboard and I looked I it was when I I had a, a camera phone a pretty old rubbish old camera phone then and I took a picture of myself in the mirror and sent it to my dad and I went what the f am I doing with my life <laughs> basically and um and uh our mutual friend Nathan James happened to get in touch with me that week and say, do you want to come and audition for this show that I'm doing? And it was a, a show called Bohemian Rhapsody. And that ended up being my first professional job. So I, I went and auditioned for it. Um, and uh, next thing I knew, I was on tour with that. And it was it was having done that tour um, that I kind of got my agent who then put me up for Thriller. Thriller was the first audition I had. Next thing I knew I was in Thriller. So it was a very quick, once I was in the door, it was a very quick kind of ascendancy into being a professional um, singer and musician. And I love that, the fact that it was the Bohemian, I can't even say it, Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> uh, show that was your first gig. Because actually that is my first memory of being really impressed by you as a young performer. So we previously mentioned Starmaker Theatre Company, which I was a founder member of. And as we both know, it was an incredible sort of theatrical stomping ground for, for young, enthusiastic, passionate theatre making performers. And uh, I remember staging a Queen medley, which you had a solo singing role in, didn't you? Can you remember mm. the song that you were singing? I think I did Crazy That Thing Called Love and I did Bohemian Rhapsody. You did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You did Bow yeah. Rap. And That's I remember cool. being so impressed by uh, your sound, but also your instinct as a performer. So I love that that's actually, that was then your first job. It's, it, it's great, isn't it? 
quite poetic. Queen were always such a massive influence on me, and we'll probably get onto this later. But Freddie's kind of always been near the near the top of my sort of idols. And I just love everything about him. His kind of, you know, his uh, his power and his his kind of androgynous sort of nature, the femininity, the masculinity. And so, growing up, I just wanted to be Freddie Mercury. So <laughs> when I got that gig, it was obviously perfect for me, and I knew every song inside out, having done them when I was a kid, as you just mentioned. So, yeah. yeah, it was a good first gig. And you sing the work so incredibly well. Did you make an art form of really studying those icons? Because I I feel like that is part of your artistry is your ability to really look at the detail I mean you, you you've sung music of all these icons you know the queen music and then we mentioned previously the thriller tour and mm-hmm. the fact that Michael Jackson's music has played a big part in your early musical life as well hasn't it and I mean there are some incredible renditions beautiful renditions of of, of MJ's work on YouTube, which, you know, listeners should go and seek out because you sing that music so brilliantly as well. Is that something that you spent a lot of your time as a young singer doing, just really studying and, and singing with them and, and taking on their vocal mannerisms? Yeah, I mean, obviously as a kid, like I mentioned, my dad was always playing the music. So some of it for sure is just became almost second nature just just by just by sheer volume of how much I'd listened to it. And um, I kind of obviously learned how to make those sounds as I got older. But but when I got, I, I'm someone that prides myself on, on detail. Some mm. singers like to just be more natural, I guess. But for me, if I get a job like Thriller, where, where I have to go and do Michael Jackson, what I get off on more than a lot of people is trying to get it as close as possible. Not not an, not trying to imitate, but but trying to find where my voice meets his. Mm. There's some things that he did that I would sound ridiculous doing, but there's some things that really worked for me. And everyone on that show had to find that sweet spot where it suited them. So for me, whether it's Freddie or Robert Plant or... Um, Michael Jackson, you know, I, I always try and get as close as I can um, without it sounding like I'm copying. And, yes. And, and that stood me in really good stead. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get onto the more vocal technique stuff, but obviously that the training that you gave me allowed me to do that in a more technical way to sit down and go, okay, what is this person actually physically doing? Um, where's he placing his larynx? You know, what? And, and, and it allowed me to kind of manipulate my voice into different ways so like on the classic rock show for example i'm going from the beatles to led zeppelin to geddy lee to um robert plant but the the training kind of allows me to go into those realms and and try and you know do all those different types of things justice um so yeah i, I really enjoy that detail and that um the nuance of each of their voices and what you've just spoken about there is has been my experience of working with you you are an incredibly rewarding artist to work with specifically because you love that detail and you really, you have such a great ear for listening to it. I I will never forget us sitting on my sofa, just watching hours of Robert Plant because you were about to, you know, sing his stuff and you wanted to really look at the vocal stylistics and to, and you just relished that detailed process. Uh, And I think that that's, why you've seen such incredible success in the rock circuit you know because you've been able to apply your voice in your way 
but to honour those artists. How do you think that that uh, has then impacted your songwriting? Because that's a really different thing, isn't it? It's a different, it's a different skill. What's that like for you? To be honest, the, the songwriting, like you said, it is a totally different thing. Um, the, the songwriting is where I feel most vulnerable and most like a fraud and also what I get the most out of when it goes well, you know. I always feel, you know, when I say I'm a songwriter, something inside of me kind of cringes, but I am a songwriter. I've been writing songs since I was 12 years old. But I, I think that's what gives me the most joy and the most um it's the most cathartic experience when you when you sing a song somebody's singing it back to you or you're singing your own music at a big festival you know i'll always say and i've done some massive gigs in my life i've been really lucky but the the biggest kind of kick for me so far was when i got to do my own music at i love white festival with my old band romances because it's stuff that we'd created together mm. um and you, you know i think it's it's weird you know i've i've Obviously, every singer's got an ego, and it and it's a it's a weird um it's a weird kind of mindset for me because the bigger the gig I do doing other people's music, the more I feel like uh, I'm kind of faking it. Does that make sense? Because it's I'm just copying other people's stuff, and I know that's ridiculous because I'm obviously I'm obviously good at what I do for all the reasons that you said. You know, I do it with respect, and it's genuine. You know, I genuinely love that stuff, and. I feel I could do a good job at it, but um, I always feel like a bit of a fraud, kind of in both situations, you know. But but you know, that's that's just all. Most of it's in my head, I think. <laughs> but... Absolutely, and that's so common with artists and creatives. I think yeah. is just really being able to sort of you know stand in what we do, and uh, to feel like we deserve to be doing it and that we belong there. I think it's that there are always times of sort of questioning. Uh, ourselves um let's move on to covid hitting and let's mm. talk about what that was like for you as a musician as a singer how did your world change and how did you cope with that well covid covid like like you said at the beginning in in hindsight it was a wonderful thing for me i think um but at the time it was obviously terrifying and um you know, I, I'm someone that at the time was doing something close to 100, 150 gigs a year. That was how I made all my money. And um, obviously that that stopped overnight. And um, it was, yeah, it was terrifying. I mean, my girlfriend is a, a hair and makeup artist as well, and she's, she's freelance. So we both suddenly had no income and we're living in London. And, um, and it was terrifying, you know, so but i'm always an optimist i'm always someone that looks for the good and looks for the positive i'm a glass half full type person and i started streaming i think it was the first weekend of that first lockdown i'm pretty sure it was april april or was it march i can't remember i think it was the first weekend we went into lockdown and I've, I'd never done a live stream before. I didn't know how it worked. And I announced on my Facebook, I'm doing a live stream this Friday or Saturday, whatever it was. Um, and then I sat down and went, hmm, now I need to figure out how to do this. And it took me a few days. Um, but because of the, you know, my experience of kind of working in pubs and clubs when I was a kid, and you know, I, I call myself a, a pub musician, which is, probably does myself a disservice. But what I mean by that is that I can kind of blag most stuff on a piano or a guitar and get around it. So 
it kind of made these online streams I was doing feel like people were just sat in a pub listening to live music. And, you know, I would drink a bottle of red wine, the people watching would drink a bottle of red wine. And and the first gig I did, that, that gig um, online, I think I had 400 people watching, which would be a pretty decent sized gig, mm. you know. And um, obviously I won't go into detail, but th those streams that I did in terms of people's donations and stuff to me literally paid our rent during lockdown and i know that wasn't the same for for everybody but I, I i was in the total right position in that i wasn't famous so people didn't think he's rich he doesn't need money but i had enough of a fan base that the online gigs were vibey and you know hopefully decent enough quality and um the chats were going off and people sort of started to get to know each other the more i did them um, so I was kind of the perfect, perfect person to be doing those live streams when nobody could go, go out. It really has changed my life, actually, because it, you know, looking back, I now have this incredibly strong, loyal fan base because they they really appreciated what I did during lockdown, even though, I've, of course, I was doing it for myself, you know, and my sanity and and them. But but it kind of just became this big community of people and it's just been amazing you know they call themselves the jesters my fans and um, it's, just, it's just so sweet and so lovely and you know they but now um you know they're starting to come to my shows and meet up in person mm. having been these avatars online for for two years whatever it was during lockdown so covid was definitely pros and cons for me you know emotionally it was i i thought it was harder when we went back to gigging than the actual lockdown itself that you know because it was it was all so new and even when things are terrifying when they're new they're novel aren't they breaking banana bread and doing all <laughs> these things and getting really fit and you know i think i got in shape and out of shape about three times during the course of <laughs> but um but yeah i i think when i went back to gigging the um, all the emotion kind of rose to the surface and i began to feel kind of really overwhelmed being back on a stage again but yeah i mean I think everyone experienced COVID in a different way, didn't they? And for, for me, it was kind of, it was bittersweet for sure, but definitely has stood me in good stead to where I'm at now, for sure. Yeah, and let's talk about that because really it also led to some artistic inspiration, didn't it? The world opens up and did you write your collection of songs on your upcoming album during COVID or beyond it? They were kind of written in 2021, which was that weird year where we, were, from from memory, I think we were kind of going back in and out of COVID and there were still lots of restrictions on things. And there was periods where we weren't allowed to perform, periods where we were, but then you were allowed to see people in small numbers and eat out to help out and so all that stuff. I think the timeline gets confusing for me, but... But yeah, I, I didn't write anything at all in 2020. I was doing all my live streams and stuff and I just didn't particularly feel inspired. But in 2021, I wrote nearly all of the album in a very short period of time. Um, and it was a very creative kind of period for me. And, and yeah, I'm super proud of this record and, um, and all, all of the songs on it. And I think what I'm most proud of is, is the honesty of the songs. Um, I think I turned 30 in lockdown as well, which is a story in itself, because we were supposed to be going to Vietnam to have this incredible holiday that we booked. But but turning 30 actually was quite a big deal for me. I, I kind of I think I grew up a lot in, in that year. And 
I think most of the songs on the record are just about being a 30 year old person um, in a relationship and and everything that comes along with that, you know, the good bits and the bad bits and everything that goes along with that. So I'm, I'm proud of the honesty of the record. I'm proud of the weirdness of the record, um, the choices we made in the studio, the production choices. A lot of that is down to to um, Matt and Mark, who I recorded the album with and they kind of co-produced it with me because we we kind of wanted the, the record. If I always say if there's a scale of singer songwriting from uh, let's say Brian Adams to Radiohead. We wanted to be down the Radiohead end of the scale, and I love Brian Adams. Don't get me wrong, but because of the way I sing and the way I look, people expect me to be Bon Jovi and Brian Adams, and I that is not that is not how I feel artistically. I feel much mm. more aligned with the Bob Dylans and Joni Mitchells of this world. Mm. Um, so we wanted to try and make it weird, basically. Not not weird on purpose, but if as soon as it got to rock, and I'm doing I'm mm. doing kind of inverted commas here, we we kind of s- tried to step away from that and make it more interesting. So there's weird synthy things, there's weird samples, but ev- everything we put on the record is is kind of man-made, you know. Um, Mark, who was um, an incredible engineer, and he played bass on the record as well. He made a lot of kind of um synthy sounds and you know everything's original nothing is something that you can just pluck out of um a plug-in on a computer so yeah the kind of weirdness trying to make it original and trying to make it honest is the thing that i'm most kind of proud of you are stones have challenges of the management and the releasing side because the music industry has changed so much hasn't it and I was discussing this with Tessa Niles on a previous Vocalscope podcast episode and for those of our listeners who haven't listened to that episode yet um, or haven't come across Tessa's work um, she was the backing singer for Eric Clapton, Bowie, Tina Turner and we were talking about how different the music industry is these days and that whilst the gatekeepers to releasing music have collapsed in in many ways um it hasn't necessarily made it any easier because a self-releasing artist has to and has the opportunity to be but also has to run all departments of their music career now don't they they ha- you have to be your own stylist your own pr and marketing department your own record label you have to consider your own branding so 
you have this collection of songs and you know you want to shape them into an album. Um, what have you found that whole process like and, uh, and what's your experiences of the, of the challenges and what might be more challenging now and, uh, and actually more easier now? Oh, I, I find the whole thing utterly confusing and overwhelming. I mean, mm. I, I personally, for the reasons I mentioned before about my online community and my streams and everything like that, I always try and think about them and how I can make it more accessible for them and asking them what they want. Um, so, and then trying to grow that core fan base out like a snowball, you know, that's how I look at it. I mean, my, my single that was released on Sunday, just gone Sunday, the 11th of December, that, um, that was my first, um, online release uh, of anything as a solo artist ever. So, um, but I've been doing things, you know, gradually for, for the last, you know, few years as a solo artist building to this point. Um, so really, I'm just dipping my toe into the world in terms of people that don't already know who I am. Um, and I, I look at it like this because, you know, every, every musician is different, right? So for me, I have all the, the things that we've spoken about, the classic rock show and my Led Zeppelin symphonic show and Strictly Now and all these things. And my music is now the end point for any person that enters into my world at, at any other point. Now it's like, oh, you like me in the classic rock show? Thanks very much. I'm playing a gig here by myself on the 29th. Or, oh, you saw me in Led Zeppelin Symphonic. Have you, could you check out my new single? That's kind of the way I'm working it. And that the whole online thing I'm just starting out with. So I don't really know. I mean, I've sort of been submitting my song to loads of different playlists and that kind of thing. I think that that's how a lot of it works. But um, I think personally, I think the only way it's ever worked is to have good songs and to to get them out to as many people as you can in as many different ways as you can. Obviously now social media is really important um, and just, just interacting with people as much as possible and keeping it as real as possible. So laugh at me and lay with me like this You are the one I blame it on don't you she's a voice coach she works on on the voice lots of the the, the tv shows but she also um, produces and manages artists and she has actually started this sort of mentoring program for developing artists it's, but it's all about getting industry professionals in to mentor the artist and lead them through that process of thinking about the things that might not necessarily be 
their strengths. And okay, sometimes it might be branding, it might be promotion, it might be writing, it might be, um, you know, artist management, it might be social media. So just so many areas. And I think mentors and, and programs like Entourage, which is the, the name of the, the program, I think there's real there's a real place for that to give support to artists because I I think I think they're quite rare. I I think being able to be mentored in different areas of your career as an artist is quite rare. You're kind of you're on your own, and it, yes, it's who you know, um, but it's also you're kind of almost limited by how much you know, and it's really a, a, a process of self education, isn't it? I think that idea of being mentored by you know, by people who've gone before or who have that specialist area. I think we need platforms like that, that will support and nurture artists and help them to look at all the different areas of uh, of being an artist. Um, which part of it terrifies you the most? I wouldn't say it terrifies me, but the thing that I don't quite I don't quite relate to as much yet as the online, as in the streaming services. I've sold quite a lot of CDs of my record already. You know, I put it out and like I said, I've got a core fan group who immediately bought my CD. And, and you know, I know CDs are a bit outdated these days, but people still do listen to CDs. And, and um, you know, it's allowed me to make some income from the record and, and, um, and that's been brilliant for me. And, but that's a physical, tangible thing. So people order it from my website I get the CD that's in a box in my spare room, I sign it, I put it in an envelope, I write on the envelope, I stick a stamp on it and I send it. But with Spotify, it's all it all seems like smoke and mirrors to me. So it's like you're begging someone so that, that you know there might be there might be a guy in Greece who has a playlist with um Love Greece by the way, um who has, <laughs> you know, 20,000 listeners on his playlist. So this guy who might, you know, he might know stuff about music, he might have no clue about music, and it's all his personal taste. He's the gatekeeper to that amount of people. And then he's the one that says yes or no to your song. And he doesn't know anything about you. He might know nothing about vocal technique or recording or the artists that you're even similar to or that you're trying to emulate. Yet he's the one with the power, you know, and obviously that goes that goes for this for people at Spotify, people at Apple Music. Um, and obviously, when you're starting out, it's really hard because you're kind of constantly selling yourself all the time. Um, and kind of getting getting pushed back all the time. It, it's just a numbers game, you know, you might set, submit it to 100 people, you might get three people that share it on their playlist. And then you might get, you know, a few hundred likes or listens here or there, you know, but none of that equates to anything in the real world in terms of money or anything. I personally am much more of an old school artist. I'd much rather go out and do shows and play to people and look them in the eye and do a gig. I don't really understand this modern world of streaming yet. I hope that I do because I know that it's the only way to kind of really reach, you know, a, a whole world of people. And, and some, uh, a podcast that I listen to are called Distraction Pieces, um, Scroobius Pip, he said once something along the lines, I'm sorry if I'm misquoting, but it was, it would be egotistical of you or arrogant of you to think that there's not people out there who would like your music. There's 7 billion people, however, however many in the world, you know, you just have to go and find them. And that, that's the thing that I think is probably the most hard, but 
also will be the most rewarding in the long run because they're the people who are gonna just adore your music and be your fans, you know. I never wanna be anywhere other than lost in the world. Some hands on the better cause I never taste anything sweeter than you. I never wanna get clean again cause I'm drunk on a rise. I'll be wasted forever cause I never seen beauty so heaven not the blue. There's something wicked about you, baby. Look in your eyes today. It says that you know you know it's turn me on and have your wicked way. There's something wicked about you, baby. I'm tired to railway. Stoned here in your silhouette. I'm giddy in your gaze. There's something wicked about you, baby. fantastically successful launch night the other night at Lexington which I um, loved coming to you launched your uh, first single Wicked which we are going to be putting on the Vocal Scope podcast playlist um, which is on Spotify uh, listeners can find a link to that in the show notes as well your upcoming album is called Songs from a Concrete Box uh, and people can also pre-order that there can't they at your website jessiesmithuk.com it's actually for sale now so if they want to order it i will be signing it and sending it out in the post old school and it will be online um probably around april we think um there's a couple more singles going to come out first um but it should be out by april feels like the longest release ever to, to me you know from from when i wrote it but yeah it's going to be out it's going to be out early next year anyway and people can get a, a physical copy four or five months in advance, which is pretty cool. So, exactly. yeah, jump on that, folks, definitely. Listen, we must also talk about your Strictly experience. Sure. What a wild experience that must be. I mean, singing live on national television every week. What has that been like? It's it's been a real trip, you know. It, like so many gigs that I found myself doing over the years, it was quite a last minute call up. Um, I think it was, I think I was in Malta or somewhere on on uh, for, for a gig, and then it. Or was I in France? I can't remember. Oh, it's so rock and roll. So I was, I was somewhere. <laughs> so I had I've just had the most crazy schedule over the last couple of months because it was busy anyway, and then I got the Strictly gig. So I've just been. I've literally been flying here there and everywhere, so I genuinely can't remember. I'm not trying to be cool. Um, I think I might have been in France actually, and um, and it was like on a Tuesday, and it was you know, can you come and audition for Strictly? And I said, oh, I'm really sorry, but I'm away on tour right now. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, they phoned me again and and sorry, emailed me again and said, are you available to come and audition tonight? And I said, I'm really sorry, I'm away because I was away on tour. And um, and then like the following Tuesday, they were like, would you mind just coming doing the show on Saturday if you're free? Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. So it was kind of they, they really put their faith in me, you know, mm. but I'd, I'd been recommended by um, a, a couple of people. Um, one of the singers, Andrea, her partner I'd worked with before is a, is a great bass player called Steve. Hey, Steve. And um, <laughs> and also Hayley Sanderson, who's one of the other singers I'd worked with before in the show. So it was kind of two people that had recommended me. And it wasn't particularly 
heavy in terms of vocals the week that I came in. I think I had two songs to sing and a few bits of back and vocals. So it was kind of baptism of fire, really. In I went, learnt the stuff, did the, did the show. And next thing I know, I was live to however many million people, 10 million people, I think. And I obviously did an okay job because they've had me back for the rest of the, the season. But they got me in because there was some rock material that they needed. That's totally in my comfort zone. I think originally it was Whole Lot of Love, I think. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but anyway, but it didn't end up getting used in the end. And then I had to sing Ballroom Blitz. Um, so that was actually really in my comfort zone. But the thing that I'm kind of, it's been most, kind of the most challenging and also the thing I sort of take most pride in is, um, is all the other stuff, you know, because to be honest, for the last five, six years, I've very much been typecast in this rock and roll person. So if you need a rock singer, you know, there's probably 10 guys in the UK that whose names will get thrown into the hat, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, I've been one of them. And, um, and I've loved that, you know, cause that's the music I love. That's what I grew up on. It's, it's, um, it's in my blood, you know, so that's been cool, but to go on Strictly, I'm kind of singing stuff that I haven't, you know, in, in styles that I haven't sang in since I was a kid, you know, literally since I was at Style Maker, you know, singing, singing Miss Saigon on TV and singing, um despacito justin bieber i mean nobody i don't know why i mentioned that because people are <laughs> gonna go and listen to it but, um <laughs> you know that is not my bag at all you know it's been a real challenge you know because you, you might be singing something rocky mm. and then you you know they clear the set and they play a vt and then they, then you're singing you know some poppy thing and then you might be singing four-part harmony in the next song and then you might be singing you know something totally musical theater it's so varied and so broad and the sight singing thing, I've kind of started reading musical notes again, you know, which has mm. been really good. Um, and kind of watching where your harmonies go and stuff. And so I've really enjoyed that bit of it. Um, don't they say you're, it's always good to be just out of your comfort zone, you know? Absolutely. It gives you growth. So it's definitely been a challenge in a good way, you know, and you, you're totally under the microscope there, you know, it's, you really have to... Uh, you really have to concentrate all the time, you know, it's, and they're very long days. People might not realise, but we usually go in about 9am and the show finishes about, you know, by the time we're done, it's about 11ish at night. Um, wow. So it's a very long day and you're singing all day and you, you have to, you have to be on it. You know, yeah. it's very difficult to market because, you know, somebody might be throwing an arm or mm, you know, yeah. shimmying to what you're doing. So you yes. have to do it. There's no room for movement at all. And I mean, it, it kind of all, you know, when we go back to what we were talking about before about detail, you know, with this, you have to be so detailed, you know, in terms of your phrasing and your pitch and everything, you just have to be on it, you know? So it's, it's very challenging vocally and massive respect to all the other singers and the band, you know, they're all just incredible. And of course, Dave is, um, an absolutely unbelievable musician and great person to work for. So yeah, it's it's been it's been a real trip. Which brings us to the question that I ask everybody on Vocal Scope: Who is your favourite voice of all time? What song would you like to add to the Vocal Scope podcast playlist for people to listen to of that artist? Wow, I mean. I tried to make a list of my favorite singers when when um, when I got asked this question and I managed to whittle it down to about 16. <laughs> oh my god, um, you can only have one. Do I not know. mention any others. Oh, so hard though because there's so many that inspire me in such different ways. Of course. Um 
one. Uh, <laughs> the detail, Jesse. Uh, I think if if you know, guns my head, it mm. would probably have to be Freddie. I think mm. I'm looking at this list, and it's it's such a shame because all of them have different things that have inspired me and molded me into of the artist I am in different ways. But in terms of the whole package, in terms of like I mentioned briefly earlier, the power and the campness, but also the delicacy of what he could do, his showmanship and just everything. I think Freddie would be my all time number one. And I've actually changed what I was going to say. So I haven't even thought of a song. So let's go with um, let's go with Innuendo by Queen. Innuendo that is just it's just insane. Um, you know, Fantastic. it just gives me goosebumps every single time I hear it. It's also a bit kind of proggy and a bit mad, that song, which is also what I enjoy. So yeah, great. But they could, they, they, this could change daily, this answer. <laughs> well, that's today's answer. And I love the visceral in the moment gut response to it. So thank okay. you for that. That will be added to the Vocalscope podcast playlist, which people can find on Spotify. And really, all that remains for me to say is that this is the last Vocalscope episode of 2022. And I could not wish to end this year with any other guest because I think that 2023 is going to be such an exciting year for you. Good luck with the release of Songs from a Concrete Box. And I just can't wait to watch it all happen for you. Thank you so much for being my guest today on Vocalscope. It's an absolute pleasure, Juliet. Do you know what? I just want to say one more thing before I go because I I don't want to uh, don't want to finish without saying it. So sorry, I'm going all the way back here. But when when I did that Bohemian Rhapsody show, right, that was the first professional gig I'd ever done. And you said you came and you were impressed by me. I felt at that point super inconsistent, and I couldn't understand why one day I could sing it perfectly and another day I couldn't. Mm. And then I came to see you after that tour. And it literally changed my life because I went from being a good singer to being a consistent singer and learning the science from you and learning, you know, all the mechanics of the voice literally has allowed me to do everything that's come since. So I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me and the knowledge you've imparted onto me because it's made such a difference. Um, and I, I wouldn't be able to do Strictly or you know, the classic rock show or anything had I not had that training from you. So it really means the world to me. And I'm so, so happy to have done this podcast with you today, Julia. Oh, same here. Thank you so much. That's really what a lovely way to end. Thank you. My pleasure. Oh, one, two, three. Oh, it's the breath of the vocal, the vocal Oh, it's the breath of the the 